electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. It's a cornerstone of remote work. Slack co-founder and CEO Stuart Butterfield on the future of work and technology. So there is this shift that happened sometime in the last couple of decades between the, like, the relative importance right. of the physical HQ and the digital HQ. Plus, traveling July 4th, prices are higher than ever. Best Western CEO Larry Kusilik says inflation can't stop us from hitting the road. Although gas prices have increased and there has been, I'll call it the headwind of inflation, travel has remained tremendously strong. Those stories plus were close Closing out a dismal first half of the year for the markets, Disney's betting on CEO Bob Chapek again, and TikTok, not just for fun. If you're prone to wearing, you know, tin hats, you could come up with some pretty interesting scenario. Are, are, is, are, are youth being controlled by the, the Chinese? I don't think this is a crazy conspiracy theory. It's Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, kill please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew will be joining us a little later this morning. He is live from the Aspen Ideas Festival with Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield. Yesterday was a pretty rough one for the markets, the worst we've seen in two weeks, which doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, it has been a pretty horrible first half. The end of the first half, the S&P is down by more than 18%, about 19% right now, which makes it the worst first half that we've seen in over 50 years. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester said if economic conditions remain the same at the July FOMC meeting, she's going to advocate for 75 basis points. Mester told CNBC she would make an assessment of supply and demand conditions over the coming weeks. And prior to the meeting uh, that she's talking about, in order to determine her preferred path of monetary tightening, she also weighed in on the risks of a recession in the U.S. economy. My baseline forecast is for growth to be slower this year than it was certainly last year, where it was 5.5%, which is extremely high. Um, And we're going to see some slower growth this year, but that's okay because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get demand moderated so that it's more in line with that constrained supply. Get it? Uh, Sad. You'd like demand to be as strong as possible. It's just the supply that's the issue. So when you got limited supply, uh, that's going to cause prices uh, to go up. But we've talked about it again and again and again. That's no way to, to really run things to try to dampen economic activity. We all want a high GDP, but uh, if the supply chains are constricted, you don't want the inflation that, uh, and and it'd be preferable to have slower growth with less inflation than to have good growth. Yes, and I mean, but the debate is pretty wide ranging right now. Ken Langone on Mondays, you know, from Home Depot, seeing what he sees there, seeing what he sees from a lot of his different companies in terms of demand at freight companies and different things, says he thinks they need to raise 100 basis points, thinks that this is a big, big problem it's going to have to jack up rates to make sure you're dealing with these higher inflationary prices. Uh, Jeremy Siegel yesterday kind of caught me off guard when he said, look, you're already seeing commodity prices roll over. Um, and, and that could be an indication that things are slowing down. He thinks that 
the, the government data has never really taken rent, rent prices into, into effect and housing prices into effect. It's been worse inflation than that, but he thinks it's weaker now than maybe they're picking up on too. And if you go too far, he worries that they're just going to put us in a very deep recession. It's a little disconcerting to, 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 to start hearing that we've already raised enough when we really are just getting started historically. But then again, I see that we may be in a, a, a new normal where a, a three or four percent Fed funds is the same as a five, six or seven used to be. But uh, certainly you don't want a Fed put, you don't want the Fed to react to what happens in the stock market. But then again, the stock market in the wealth effect, you can, it can be self-fulfilling that you slow the economy down. John Williams was on yesterday and said that as far as he sees it, because at the New York Fed, they are watching all the markets very closely as far as he sees it everything is going in an orderly process. So he's not worried about anything he sees in the markets. And he thinks point, a soft landing is still possible. He does. He does. Yeah. Disney has extended CEO Bob Chapek's contract for three years. It had been set to expire in February of next year, but the board voted unanimously to extend his tenure to July of 2025. Chair Susan Arnold said that under Chapek's leadership, Disney not only weathered the storm of the pandemic, but emerged in a position of strength. His tenure so far has been a little rocky, including engaging in a political battle with leaders in Florida and reorganizing Disney's media and entertainment businesses. The company's stock is down more than 35 percent year to date. Uh, the Wall Street Journal points out that this is a situation where the board believes in Chapek's broader vision for the company, which is going from a business to business distribution model to one where you are working directly with consumers with, through Disney+. Plus. He's had a very aggressive plan for Disney Plus, wants to get more than 230 million subscribers and plans to be profitable on Disney Plus by 2024. So though, those are some pretty important markers that the street will be watching and probably the board too to see if he can get. These are not normal times. That chart right there would uh, no, not normally be uh, something that would usher in another three-year contract, but it, it doesn't look a whole lot different from uh, a lot of other legacy media, Comcast, um, but, or, and not, not as bad as some of the new media. Netflix. Netflix, others. It's very trying times. Shares of Carnival this morning, they're sharply lower. This comes after Morgan Stanley is cutting its price target nearly in half from $13 to $7. It's also introducing a new bear case of $0 based on liquidity issues that could arise if there was to be a demand shock causing cancellations. The analyst points out that the net debt remains triple the pre-COVID levels, and this is very concerning because it kind of looks at the high-yield market. If the high-yield market were to close, that would be a huge issue for this company, potentially. They've got liquidity of $7.5 billion at Carnival. It appears to give it a solid cushion, given the cash burn's been improving, the analyst says, at Morgan Stanley. But the company has $4 billion of debt that matures in the next 18 months, and $5 billion of its cash is customer cash. So if that high-yield market were to close and or if there was a demand shock that causes trip cancellations or weak bookings, and then you'd have to give that, a lot of that money back to the customers, that customer deposit money, their liquidity could very quickly shrink, the analyst says. Um, even then, they think the leverage looks unsustainably high, um, and they think the debt needs to come down to $20 billion or so, and that would imply a $12 billion equity raise. Right. Um, and if the stock goes down, you're not going to be able to raise. Right. And that, it's, it's a $12 billion market cap at this point. So that is a, clearly 
um, a high-risk issue. It's obviously something that could be very dilutive and discount the shares significantly. I mean, this is interesting because it's looking just at Carnival, but the cruise stocks are down across the board. Carnival, you see, down by about 7.5% on this. Royal Caribbean down by about 4%. Norwegian Cruise Lines down by 4% as well. Um, I just don't know whether demand shock. I said this would happen if there was a demand shock. If there was a demand shock. What are they talking about? If, I think it, if there's another COVID That's outbreak I mean. and you shut things it's, down. It's not, it's not gradually rising interest rates, which would cause the demand shock. No, but if you needed to get back in, if you were in a position like this, if, if there was another COVID closure, people started backing out of the trips or you had to cancel the trips, and then you couldn't get access to high yield. That, that would be the difference. Last time they were able to raise capital, you might not be able to do it again. Well, we better get a list of industries that, I mean if there's a that, that, that's demand, what's so interesting about this it, it could impact we'd just be back in the companies. soup so we're just going back to 2020 I think 2020 if we did if there was a demand shock that was going to affect although I think some industries lines, are probably at higher risk than others cruise lines would be one that would be well we should maybe short carnival and buy some zoom again FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr tweeting a letter he sent to the CEOs of Apple and Alphabet urging those companies to remove TikTok from their app stores. In the letter, Carr wrote, TikTok is not what it appears to be on the surface. It is not just an app for sharing funny videos or memes. That's a sheep's clothing. At its core, TikTok functions as a sophisticated surveillance tool that harvests extensive amounts of personal and sensitive data. Carr cited a BuzzFeed report earlier this month that said sensitive data harvested by TikTok had been accessed in Beijing. That same day that, Buzz, that the BuzzFeed report came out, TikTok announced it was routing all of its U.S. user traffic to Oracle's cloud servers in the United States from its own data centers in both the United States and Singapore. But this has been a huge issue um, that Washington officials have talked about for a well, while. If, you, if you're prone to wearing, you know, tin hats, you could come up with some pretty interesting scenario. Are, are, is, are, are youth being controlled by the, the Chinese? I, I have heard from some pretty reliable sources that there are big concerns about what happens with this. Beijing do has they access have, to do it. Do they have our best interests at heart, do you think? Are they trying to make us a better country? <laughs> I mean, if you really want, I, you know, I, you could really go crazy with the conspiracy theories. I, 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 this, I don't think this is a crazy conspiracy theory. I, I have heard this before. It's the reason I don't have TikTok. What I see on TikTok a lot is it's a different world yeah. from when I was, was growing And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I understand that. I used to look at the, the previous generation and think how silly they were when I was growing up. But uh, <laughs> I think it's reversed. Some of the stuff I see is... Uh, some of it's okay, I guess. Some of it, I think, is wacko. <laughs> Don't you think? And headed the wrong broad, direction? Headed the wrong Yeah, it's a broad <laughs> aperture. You get to see a lot. Ah, right? But what are we going to do? Kids. Coming up on Squawk Pod, they're back. Tourists. Best Western CEO Larry Kusilik on the headstrong American traveler, paying whatever high prices. People are returning not just to, I'll call it secondary and tertiary markets, but the big cities. Uh, and so tourists are returning. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma Yay! trip to Texas. 
So go to TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Sorry, push on Joe. Up on him, cue. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Andrew's at the Aspen Ideas Festival. As the July 4th holiday approaches, a record number of travelers are expected to hit the road and take to the skies. Joining us right now for a look at the impact of this summer travel surge on hotels is Larry Kukulik. He is the president and CEO of Best Western Hotels and Resorts. He leads the parent company, BWH Hotel Group, which has 18 hotel brands, totaling about 4,500 hotels. Larry, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, travel is something we talk about all the time, mostly about complaints, people worrying about high gas prices and about wh- whether or not their planes are going to take off on time. But this is a situation that has to be a bit of a windfall for you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me uh, on your program this morning. And just as an aside, uh, Ms. Quick, we both grew up in the region. I saw that oh. you, uh, you went to Andrea High School. I went to Hammond uh, Clark High School. Um, and... Uh, just wanted to say a uh, shout out to the region. Uh, it is, nice it is to great to you. see somebody else. You know, it's Larry, it's you, me, and Bob Chapek, who also grew up in the region, I think from Muncie, either Hammond or Muncie. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, thank you for or the question. You know, we are witnessing a very strong recovery in many parts of the world, and our occupancy, average daily rate, and revenue per available room are trending upward, continuing to trend upward, and really exceeding pre pandemic levels. Uh, in many of our markets. Um, What's really encouraging is in the United States, our primary markets are receiving much needed relief. Cities like San Francisco and New York, Seattle, Portland, and they actually had occupancy greater than 75% in the week ending June 18th, which is very, very encouraging that people are returning not just to, I'll call it secondary and tertiary markets, but the big cities uh, and so tourists are returning. Larry, how much of your business is tourism and how much of your business is people who are traveling for business? The, the majority of our business uh, at Best Western um, is the leisure side. And, and as a result, we're seeing that demand on weekends and holidays being exceptionally strong. In fact, the Saturday before Memorial Day, at Memorial Day weekend, we set an all-time system-wide record for the company for average daily rate. Um, and in week in recent recent weeks, excuse me, occupancy has generally been just slightly below pre-pandemic levels, uh, with ADR up 11 to 18 uh, percent as compared to 2019. So um, the uh, performance has continued to be exceptionally strong over the summer months. The the big question people have is because of the higher gas prices, because of the the. Uh, higher fares that they're charging on airlines because of the fact that so many flights are getting canceled. 
Is this going to put a damper on things? People are taking the travel that they had already pre-planned, but will that drop off once you get out of the summer? What do you, what do you see in your forward bookings? Our forward bookings remain exceptionally strong. Um, with regard to the weekend coming up, by way of example, AAA is predicting nearly 48 million people will travel more than 50 miles uh, over the weekend holiday. And uh, this represents a 3.7% increase over 2021. So although gas prices have increased and there has been, I'll call it the headwind of inflation, travel has remained tremendously strong. Um, what happens after the, I'll call it, very, very successful summer season is yet to be determined, recognizing there are those headwinds. We're hopeful that business travel continues to rebound, however, in the fall as it has begun in the summer as well. Let's talk about that inflation headwind that you mentioned. How much is inflation impacting you in terms of your, your profit margins? What, what, have you, what have you seen in terms of higher costs and how do you offset it? I'd say what um, hotels are experiencing is consistent with what consumers are experiencing. Labor, operating costs, um, those are all increasing consistent with the rate of inflation. So far, I think consumers have understood that our hoteliers, who are generally small businessmen operating independent hotels, are witnessing the same cost increases that they are. And they've been tremendously tolerant of hoteliers as a result, having to um, adjust rates to also account for inflation, such that it's not impacting their bottom line any more than it would any other consumer. How, how tough is it to find people to, to work in these hotels at this point? Labor is one of those headwinds. I've, I've long said, however, that you know, the hospitality industry is, is all about people who enjoy the, I'll call it, um, the responsibility of caring for others and welcoming, welcoming them into their hotels. As a result, again, my position has long been people who have that in their DNA will return to the hospitality industry. It's just a matter of time, I believe, until we can recoup the labor losses that um, we experienced through the pandemic. Um, In the meantime, are, do, you, do you just not clean the rooms as often? I mean, I've, I've seen that just about everywhere I've stayed. Well, it's not that we don't clean the rooms as often. We're managing guests' expectations, um, allowing guests to elect whether they want their room cleaned or not especially with regard to a short-term stay, a two-night stay versus a one-night stay. What we've seen through the pandemic is some guests would prefer just to have, I'll call it, a tidy of their room versus a, a full-service clean, a rejuvenation of towels and potentially linens, but possibly not the full clean. That is one way that hoteliers can manage labor and labor costs. Um, but again, it's about managing expectations and making sure if that guest wants that overnight stay clean, that we will, in fact, perform it. Keep in mind as well that if a, a guest elects maybe to just have that tidying of their room versus a full clean, that's also something that is, I'll call it, um, environmentally friendly and that those towels or sheets don't have to go through a wash cycle and water isn't used. And so there's another benefit, not just labor with regard to um, a, a guest electing not to have that, I'll call it overnight clean. 
uh, of their room. Understood. Larry, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Larry Kukulik, and by the way, a fellow uh, member from the region. And anybody who doesn't know what the region is, it's Lake and Porter Counties, Northwest Indiana. Um, go Indiana. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. You didn't go to high school in Oklahoma? I did. I went to high school in Oklahoma, but then I transferred to Andrean High School in Indiana. I went to high school in multiple states. I was born in Indiana in the region. How many high school? How many states? Well, I went to Only two high two. schools, okay. but, I went, but I lived in Indiana, Ohio, Texas, Oklahoma. You kicked out of, of... No, my dad's a geologist. We moved around. Oil boom, oil bust. My parents are both from Indiana. You know this story, Matt? You know me you for 18 that's years. The... And by the way, you are also from... Uh, Cincinnati, Cambridge, Boston, Colorado. Boston, Colorado. Los Angeles. L.A. Well, I'm on the run. So I've, I've admitted... Uh, are you... I was going to ask you, are you back to the... Will you do the buffets now? Um... I don't know. I've, I've never been a big fan of buffets. I'm back to the breakfast, uh, like at the Best Western or the, they got the spread. I'm in. I'm in. Pe I, yeah, yes, I would do. I, but I usually make oatmeal. Waffle makers. I'm to, people are sneezing. There. I'm in. I'm in. I'm back. I got three dogs. We won't say anything about your. I got three dogs. <laughs> habits. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the future of work with the CEO of one platform few of us could work without, Slack, the digital office and tech leadership with Stuart Butterfield. In the Roe v. Wade case, I think the important signal was less a, a public opinion about the procedural aspects of the court right. and more a statement to employees that we care and that we want to take care of you and relocation funds are available. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, uh, who's at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Colorado. You could be, you could be in Davos. Uh, you got the Davos wear going. That's, it, it, it's interchangeable. Aspen wear, Davos wear, wouldn't you say? It's, it's marginally warmer here, but not much. So I, I think there's a way to, to, to modulate a little bit. But it's, it's, get, it's getting a little warmer here. In these tight times with inflation and all, it's, if you could have Davos wear, Aspen wear. Combine it into Combine one. it. Just uh, it all works. It all works. I like that. What color? Is, is that a, what would you call that, a peach? Camel. 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 Cam the sweater, it, yeah. it's it, that's what they say. It's the camel color. And, and, and uh, it is not a sweater, from what I can tell. we got to move on. Because uh, no, we have the, a, the Sorkin Sweater of the Month Club that we used to 
bring up. We don't do any of those fun things anymore. I'm telling you, there's a business there. There's you know, a business there. You know what? I think you could do that. I think you could do that. I really do, but I'm not sure they'll let you. In the future of work, one of the very big themes here at this year's Aspen Ideas Festival here in Aspen, Colorado. Our next guest is someone who is on the cutting edge of productivity. Joining us right now in an exclusive interview is Slack's founder and CEO, Stuart Butterfield. Stuart, it's great to have you. This morning, help, help us understand what's that we keep talking about what's happening in the economy and whether a recession is, is in the offing. But that all relates, I think, potentially to whether people are going to return to office and how people are working these days. Are what? you seeing a shift? Yeah, uh, we are seeing a shift. There's, there's definitely more people overtraining, but it is a minority still. If you look around the world, we did a, um, a future forum, an organization that we helped get off the ground did a survey of 10,000 workers, 66% are still working um, at least part of the time from home. And I don't see that really shifting. So you don't believe that, I mean, there is a view that if, if we move into a recession, as the economy gets tougher, mm -hmm. actually more people move back into the office, proxim, you know, proximity to power, you yep. wanna be seen, FaceTime, all of that. You don't think that that's, uh, I, that comes back in a, in, a, in a moment where people start to worry about their jobs a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have an employer where that's a, a threat or a little bit of a stick, um, that could definitely happen. But I think for most large organizations, it never really mattered whether you were there because you're, there's 150 offices around the world and inside one of the large campuses, there's four buildings and on each building there's right. 10 floors. And What are you seeing and hearing from customers? This is now, you've been, there's been about a year since the, the transaction with Salesforce. Yep. In terms of uptake for, for Slack services, and just more broadly, mm -hmm. um, companies making new contracts for Slack or more broadly with Salesforce, are you, are you seeing any kind of hesitation given, given what's happening in the marketplace? So many other big tech companies, even small tech companies, are, hold, are pushing back in terms of uh, labor, workforce, et cetera. I think there's, a, there's sometimes a few more like procedural um, hurdles to clear. The demand is still there, though. And I think, you know, going back to the last question as well, here's a little thought experiment. Imagine it's March 2020, and we're in some parallel universe, and you could continue to go to the office and commute and go to business dinners and use conference rooms and all that stuff, but you took away all the software, every organization would just like disintegrate in 24 hours. So there is this shift that happened sometime in the last couple of decades between the, like, the relative importance right. of the physical HQ and the digital HQ, and yes, using digital well, What do you think happens to the whole sort of startup community culture? There's a lot of companies out there that have been running for growth mm -hmm. uh, without profits, and I think there's a real worry over the next year that some of them are going to run out of capital and capital may not be available to them, and I imagine some of them are customers of yours. That's true, but we have 200,000 customers around the world, you know, and, and some of those are the biggest organizations in the world. Some of them are small, and there's, there's a pretty uh, diversified right. pool of, of Slack customers. But I take your point. Right. The, other, the flip side of that, though, is the company that ended up becoming Slack was founded in March of 2009 um, with a cohort of companies then, you know, like Airbnb. So you think this is one of those moments? I think, well, look at it from the perspective of one of those founders. There's definitely many that might... Um, might be able to get the funding. But for the one who does, there's a lot less right. unnecessary or stupid or wasteful competition because it's not like there's 50 companies that all got $50 million and now you gotta kind of have this war of attrition until a couple. Right. Okay, I have a very practical question to ask. I, we're here at this conference. Yeah. And you know, it used to be a couple years ago, up until a couple years ago, you know, you'd meet people, they give you a business card or have an email address on or they give you their email and say, send me a note, right? Mm -hmm. Now, everybody, sometimes they'll even say, give me your phone and they, type in their, their cell phone number, not to call you, but to text you. Everybody wants to text you instead now. That's the, 
That's new next. And I don't know if that's about the intimacy of text over email, but invariably then they text you and then they want to, you know, then you're trying to schedule something. That's not really built for, for this either. So, and nobody has a unified sort of inbox. So now you're living with email, you're living with Slack, you're living with text messages. It might be WhatsApp. Is there a solution to this? Because it almost feels like we have gone backwards, oddly enough. I think longer term, there's, there's almost certainly a solution because people tend to work stuff out. You remember that movie, You Got Mail? Yep. Like the whole premise is there were some times that you didn't have mail, right? Like, like mail was something that only occasionally happened. Whereas anytime you open your, your inbox, there's hundreds and hundreds of messages. And it's this weird mixed bag of like, here's a receipt for your Uber ride. Right. And here's a newsletter. Here's a marketing pitch. Here's some unsolicited spam. Here's a wedding invitation. Here's an important document for work. And that becomes a little bit overwhelming. But if you zoom out, it's just all this communication became very cheap. And it's, it's a little bit like... Um, no one complains that it's too easy to, to travel now. Whereas, have you ever been to, driven across Utah? So you, like, I just can't imagine what it would be like to go pioneer speed across that thing. So you want to create friction for email or, um, for, or for communication? I think what we need to do is find better ways to uh, cope in a world of abundance. But now, people, now people send you a text message when they send you, they, they send you an email and then they'll send you a text message saying, Hey, just FYI, I sent you an email. Yeah, that that's, makes no sense. It it is. It does make no sense. And uh, there's all kinds of funny stories about like the 1910s, 1920s applications of, of telephony, where people are doing, from our perspective now, right. silly and annoying things. But I just feel confident that as a species, we'll we'll work this stuff. Let me ask you a separate question, which is this Roe Roe v. Wade decision. Mm -hmm. And your and and some companies in the valley have been very outspoken. Some companies have been less outspoken. Salesforce has been a uh, a leader in this regard. I think you you as well. Um, what was your view of that decision? But also, how are you thinking right now about speaking out about these social issues? Because it does feel actually that there's been a swing back, actually, oddly enough, to actually being a little bit quieter than before. Yeah, I think there's, there's an interesting phenomenon where uh, there's a bunch of issues that are important to maybe to the executives, maybe to the company, maybe to the employees, um, and people want some kind of statement. But then there's a lot of stuff that happens in the world every day. And so you get to the point where like, does every enterprise software company need to be making pronouncements four times a week about uh, different issues? So I think you're seeing a little bit of that fatigue. But in, is that, is that fatigue or is that a lack of, I mean, dare I say, a lack of moral courage? I mean, look, you haven't heard a word about uh, some of the things we heard about yesterday, for mm -hmm. example, which I think almost empirically, whatever your politics are, you have to be disturbed by. And yep. yet most business leaders, I don't know if you have a view about it, um, don't say anything. That, I think it's, it's a fair criticism, but then you can go down the list of like, who's saying anything about the war in Yemen? You know, there's like, and also this is, this is every single day. Do we want, um, I don't know, there's 500 companies in the Fortune 500, a couple thousand statements a day that we got to parse through. And so I'm not saying that it's not important. And right. I think in, in, this, in the Roe v. Wade case, I think the important signal was less a, a public opinion about the procedural aspects of the court right. and more a statement to employees that we care and that we want to take care of you and you know, the relocation funds are available for people who want to permanently relocate because they, they feel like they face discrimination. And it's not just this one issue, it's a, it's a wider set. But that's, I think, in, in this case, it's more important for employees to hear that than to have one more opinion about right. this. Uh, before we, we end, what's very important to me that we talk about an announcement that you were making today uh, here at the festival, and that's why you're here. Yeah, um, so we started a program called Next Chapter, and um, that is training kind of apprenticeship programs for formerly incarcerated people to become software engineers. And this is like the real deal. Like this is like the multi-hundred thousand dollar stock options um, career. And 
obviously the numbers are, are smaller, but we've seen like some real traction. We've announced a couple more members, PayPal, Asana, Stash, and that's, I think it's about 15 companies now, um, scaling that out. And it's really exciting because the, there have been, you know, not just individual lives, but families and, and communities and neighborhoods that are- uh, So how many people have you hired that have been previously incarcerated so far? Uh, I don't know the, the total. The people coming through the program, I think there's nine inside of Slack. So like I said, the numbers are not huge, but this is a, right. a program that's been around for four years. Um, there's dozens across the industry. And this is, this is in addition to you know, other programs for like uh, more entry-level jobs, data entry uh, type jobs. But going through the whole program and the apprenticeship, it's, it's really fascinating to see not just the skills developed, like the kind of hard, the programming skills, but the uh, how to communicate, how to collaborate, how to become an effective employee in an organization that's obviously very different than what people have encountered. Very cool. Stuart Budfield. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It has been great to have all three back in today. Tune in every day. We're on CNBC weekday mornings at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show, right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast platform. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... ...trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own... ...leave the kids with grandma... ...trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Yours.